Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. Hello and welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne journalists Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. We have a new jingle in case people started listening and was wondering if they were listening to the right podcast. We do have a new jingle and it's called Girl Power, which is very fitting. Oh, I can't believe you just said that. (laughs) New year, new ass. (laughs) Coming up on today's show, when it comes to sharing our stories and lives on social media, where is the line? Plus, why M. Rusciano is angry and why Kendall Jenner's heartfelt confession turned out to be total bullshit. But first, Zara, please tell me and all of our listeners about your European holiday. Uh, it was terrible. <laughs> I had an awful time. Of course you did. Um, it was very good. I had a really good time. It was very interesting being away in summer. I've never missed summer before. Mm. I'm so um, hooked on summer in such an odd way to the point where I've got home and I have absolutely overdosed on fake tan, which is quite fitting. <laughs> Michelle is just smiling and nodding. This is me with it showered off. It looks dark. Oh, there's so a bit. Dark. There's a bit crusty oh, around the inside I'm, of your arm. So I'm there. also very jet lagged, which are two things that you should <laughs> never do together. Which is fake time when you're jet lagged because all you want to do is get to bed and you're in a massive hurry. Mm. So you're like, I don't really care. If you just cover up your upper arms, you should be okay. There's just a bit on the inside that's. Oh, looks a it's bit, it's pretty <laughs> horrific. It's a mess. Um, but the break was good. I'm so glad we had one. It had been a while, and I, I tell you what I found most interesting is that I didn't really read anything. I think the only thing I read this entire trip and I took books away was Anne Helen Peterson's piece on burnout, which Mm -hmm. we probably will address in our newsletter because it was a huge piece over the summer. Did you read that one too? I haven't yet. I'm really keen to read it, but I've had my head in so many books in these past few weeks that I haven't read many online digital news stories. Well, also it's, it's kind of overwhelming when it says a 30 minute reading time. I get a little stressed when I see that kind of um, figure, but I have been binging podcasts, which shouldn't be surprising. But but I guess when you're in transit or when I'm always moving or walking around a city, that's what I was doing. What ones? So interestingly, Esther Perel, I am so late on the bandwagon and I have been (gasps) avoiding her this entire time. I recommended her to you like a year ago. Not you, everyone. Not just you, I should Mm -hmm. say. Not not Mm -hmm. just you. (laughs) And I, 
been thinking about why I was avoiding Esther Perel for so long. And this is going to sound so silly. So for those who aren't across who Esther Perel is, she is a relationships and cheating expert. Was Is that how you'd call her too? Yeah. And she has her own podcast, Where Do We Begin? Um, She's a psychologist, right? Yeah. And she, I guess, I had always avoided listening to her stuff because I sort of just want to block out anything that I don't want to penetrate my radar, which is cheating. I know this sounds so silly, but it's just like, I just kind of love living in an ignorant bubble. Mm-hmm. And on my way home, I really had nothing left. And there was an interview that had re-popped up with her on No Filter with Mia Friedman. And just, it was one of the most clarifying, clear, concise, clever, no bullshit explanations about relationships that I've heard in the last few years. It's so funny you say that because I listened to that yesterday as well. Did you? Without realising. I've already listened to lots of her podcasts. She's got her own podcast called Where Do We Begin? Yeah. And the interview with No Filter I re-listened to yesterday. She is so clever. And the way she talks about how religion has infiltrated relationships and what we expect from a soulmate. And completely redefined them. Yeah. I found, I just found it so interesting and it sort of takes the pressure off your relationships a lot and sort of makes you really think about where your energy is going and how that classic case of, of, of one person, whether it be a friendship or a relationship or a parent or whatever, can't be everything. So I really recommend that. The other very niche recommendation I have from my break. Which we can I, have nothing left for our recommendations. I know, newsletter. No, I trust me. I have actually so much stuff because I sat <laughs> on a plane for like 60 hours. Um, was one that was recommended to me on Twitter. Well, not just to me, to everyone on Twitter by our good friend, Brittany Stewart, who hosts the Beauty Island podcast. And she recommended the George Ezra podcast. Have you heard about this one? Is he a singer? He is. You know that song? I'm absolutely not going to sing it. Homegrown. Yeah, okay. there you go. <laughs> I knew you were going to do it. See you later. Yeah, keep going. <laughs> no, that's okay. all. That's all they're going to get. He interviewed Ed Sheeran in his very first episode, and I know that I hate the celebrity on celebrity interview, but I do love Ed Sheeran, and it was such a nice, quaint chat. Hmm. Okay, I'll give that a listen. Michelle's absolutely not keen. Okay, do you know why? <laughs> Edgeron talks so beautifully about how he almost deliberately writes his songs to control his brand. So he makes sure that all of his flaws are in his songs so that no tabloid or no news source can pick up a story before he's actually had the first word. So like his drug and alcohol abuse. Exactly, yeah. which I found very interesting in that that's all very deliberate stuff. Interesting. So good chat. What have you been up to? Um, <laughs> Seven minutes what later. What have I been up to? I have discovered Nora Ephron about mm. 40 years too late. I love this so much because we all have discovered her too late. But I think that's really beautiful. Yeah, it is. Uh, for anyone who isn't familiar with the name, Nora Ephron wrote When Harry Met Sally, among other uh, plays and films that were really successful. She's also the author of Heartburn, which I have brought for you thank you i'll get it out of my bag while we talk to listeners there you go heartburn by nora efron it changed well it didn't change my life but i feel like (laughs) discovering her writing has been such a joy and i wish i could discover it all over again because now i've read three of her books in the space of about two weeks i've read some of her new yorker columns in the last few weeks but i know when i've been listening to the high low because the high low talk about nora efron a lot So one of the hosts, Pandora Sykes, said that Dolly Alderton's writing, who we have both read her book as well, Everything I Know About Love, was quite similar. Is that at all accurate? Mm, I didn't pick that up. No, (laughs) I I think the beauty of Nora Ephron is that it's so 
clear to read and it's really easy to read, but it's also super intelligent. And some of the words I've created a list on my phone of some of the words that she uses in that book where I'm like, what? Like that, that's such a gorgeous word. Like what does vocab. it mean? Vocab. Yeah. Just a really gorgeous writer, really fun to read and so true. I've been reading one of her books, which is essays on womanhood. It's called I Feel Bad About My Neck. I'm currently about to finish that one. I've got maybe a chapter or two left. And it was written decades ago and yet I'm reading it as a 20 something going oh my god yes like I feel all of this it's just so universal some of the things that she talks about and the female psyche that she really dives into which is beautiful but terrible at the same time that something can still be so relevant all these years later for women um I find maybe that's why I loved Esther Perel so much too because it's sort of intelligence without the wank Mm -hmm. which I think is so underrated in this sort of day and age yeah it is and the best thing about Nora Ephron's books is they're not massive I think the beauty of heartburn is that it's short and sweet this now How there's no pages? fat like she has trimmed all the fat so she wrote this based on her own the breakdown of her own relationship right yeah, 180 f- pages yes yeah, it's a for those playing book. along at home it's a fiction book with the plot line of her own life yeah interesting it's very great excited. it's about her husband cheating on her and i highly recommend it okay well i will probably be recommending it next week <laughs> considering it's 180 pages i should get through it this afternoon let's actually get on into the show though the first place we're starting michelle is em Rusciano. yeah so em Rusciano did an interview this week and basically spoke about how when she left radio she left today fm or fox fm if you're in victoria at the end of last year and she spoke about feeling this unimaginable rage. Yeah. I find this really interesting because it came at a time when we also found out about the new Today Show hosting panel, which for the first time ever will be anchored by two women. Mm. So Deborah Knight and Georgie Gardner will be taking that stage and sitting in those massive influential seats. But at the same time, this M. Rusciano piece and interview was fascinating because she spoke about the rising tide of women going, why do I feel so itchy and cross all the time? And I think that's something we should really investigate. I found this really interesting and those quotes very interesting because she said, I like that idea about feeling itchy and cross, but the, this quote I found most interesting. She said, we're all becoming more awakened to the little inadequacies and little inequalities towards women. And I, I, when I think about inequality and how I considered it when I was much younger, I thought about it, how I might face it in the workplace or how I might face it later in life. And I mean, that said, I still am white and middle class. So my experience of inequality is very different to another's, but it hasn't manifested in a way that I thought it would at all. It's not this very obvious thing that you feel in your face all the time, but I think it it manifests in ways you can't explain, which does make you itchy and cross. It might just be sitting around a table with a group of people being a woman with opinions and feeling like you are um, considered annoying or crass or over the top because you have an opinion. And I think this does play into why perhaps it's taken so long for two women to whether it be host a radio show or a television show to happen. I think there's been such interesting commentary around the Today Show female hosting gigs. Have you read a lot of the comments about, imagine if this was two men, how crazy we'd go? Yeah, I have. And I think I think it will be a really clever decision for Channel 9 and I hope it really pays off because for it to be a novelty that two women host a major commercial program is kind of baffling. There are plenty of programs, particularly sport programs or news programs that are mainly anchored by men. 
I think the M. Rusciano quotes really point to the fact that if you are a strong voice in the media as a woman, you're almost threatening. Mm. That she, I feel like, probably felt so much rage and all this inequality because she is such a strong, unapologetic voice. But to be a woman in radio, you almost need to play the role of sidekick. Totally. And that's what they tried to really make her do. They eventually moved her into a co-hosting role with two other hosts to try and take some of her influence away from that show and make sure her voice wasn't always the loudest. And I think that is interesting that we're going to have two women now on a major breakfast television show. And God, I hope it does well. And God, I hope that viewers tune in to see what it will be like. It's such a classic case of the glass cliff again. Because I think, I mean, for those who aren't aware, the glass cliff is kind of this idea that that when everything goes tits up, it's often a woman that's put in a scenario where the it's make or break, really. There's so much pressure and it's sort of like they're set up to fail. The Today Show has been struggling for such a long time. It just sort of feels fitting, of course, that two women are put in there to fix the job. I desperately hope they can. I feel like they have reinvigorated the program so hugely that they kind of couldn't do anything else. Like, this was their only option. I... I think when I think about this kind of idea about why there aren't any two women on radio, in fact, I think I can think of shows in the last 10 years that have been hosted by women. The Thinker Girls had a show that didn't last. And then it was Chrissy Swan and Jane Hall back in the Kiss Days who had them too. And large criticism of women on radio is that we can't tell the difference in their voices. And I've thought about this a lot with this podcast because I know that one of the major jokes around us is particularly for some of our listeners, oh, I can't tell you guys apart, which is fair because we talk very quickly and we riff off each other very quickly and it can be sort of hard to track who's saying what. But in saying that, I don't think there's come a more important time for us to deliberately try to distinguish women's voices because that's been such a long and historical criticism of women on radio that it's sort of not good enough now. And I am absolutely so guilty of this to sit back and say, I'm not going to try. Um, because it's so crucial. I remember I used to think about that with the Hilo again, with, with Dolly and Pandora. I used to think I can't, I can't tell them apart. But it is absolutely our responsibility to try for this exact reason. Mm. Do you think the appointment of two female hosts on today indicates that there's a shift more generally in the media? Do you think there will be more women-dominant, women-led programs? No. Because I don't get it. I don't. Like we have a pretty substantial audience and I know other female podcasters have a pretty substantial audience. It's kind of bizarre to me that to get a woman-led program, you really need to go to digital media. You can't find it in traditional media apart from today. That will now be the only one really doing it. On radio, the only female-led program is the 3pm pickup, which is hosted by Monty Diamond and very concerned with parenting and not much else. Let me take it back a step firstly. I mean, I don't think any commercial station can change so long as there is the same kind of person in the boardroom. And I don't think that's changing. So if that's not changing, well, why would the people in front of the mic? microphones change. As for the 3pm pickup, I have been troubled by this program for such a long time, not because of the hosts. The hosts are brilliant and clever and smart and funny, but they have been put in this such deliberate niche that it frustrates me as if the only reason a woman could possibly listen to the radio or the only reason that a woman could 
be worthy to a radio station is because she's picking up the children. It is so um, dumbed down and it is the only show on radio that is targeted to women. When you think in Victoria, for example, we have SEN, which is an entire station dedicated to men's interests in men's sport. How is that for niche? I don't know, that that troubles me because I think if you think about KISS, which is the radio station in Australia, that is sort of skewed towards women. We have two men hosting the National Drive show. Yeah. I for it to be so such a novelty for women to both both host a commercial program is kind of bizarre to me because we're doing it and there are other podcasts that do it and yet they don't seem to be anywhere in the mainstream. I don't think it's a surprise that women are absolutely turning to podcasts, both making them and listening to them, because their interests aren't represented anywhere else. I know we found that this is exactly why we created the show is because where are our interests actually being reflected? I'm still not even sure they're going to be reflected on the Today Show. Mm. And M. Rasciano has said that her anger will be channeled into her upcoming book and stage show. So I think that will be interesting to watch to find out what really went down there behind her leave. She's obviously now preparing for the birth of her third child. And I think the next year or two years in M. Rasciano's career will probably tell a lot about what happened at Today FM. I don't think she's going to pull any punches. No. <laughs> do you think it's a little strange that your boyfriend is 22 years old and still in high school? Not that it's any of your business, Trollop, but he is here by choice. It's his choice that he's a fourth-year senior that can't pass any test he takes at all? His choice. His, his, capital H. If God wanted him to graduate, God would have given him the right answers. <laughs> I'm sorry, you got to be shitting me, woman. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. As always, we will bring you five stories from the rough and tumble of the news cycle that you might have missed. Michelle, what have you got for me this week? Okay, story number one. Model Ruby Tuesday Matthews claims social media influencers use cocaine to stay thin. That is from Courier Mail. I am shook. Yeah, I I feel so conflicted about this because as someone who is 24... I totally vouch for the fact that heaps of people use cocaine and mm. they often use it to maintain their weight because alcohol has so many calories in it, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think it's that deliberate though? I think it might be for, for models Man, and yeah, yeah. things like that, social media influencers. I don't know about Ruby's claims that it's as common as it is. I feel like, yes, it might happen, but I don't think it's the norm. So how common did she say it was? She said it was basically the most common way for people to stay thin and it was a huge, huge backstory that many people don't know about. I believe her in in terms of it being an industry thing, for sure, because where there is money, there is often, to be honest, cocaine. And in this kind of scenario where their pressure is to to look good and to always be socialising too, that doesn't surprise me. I think if you were then to extrapolate that across you know, different kinds of groups of people and different kinds of workers, then I think it's not as common. Yeah, it's a very, very niche industry where I feel like it would be extremely prevalent. I feel like it really reminded me of Well Mania, which is a book that looks into the health and fitness and influencer industry and shows the paradox between health influencers being more than willing to snort lines of God knows what, but then not willing to eat anything that's non-organic or GMO. <laughs> it's so, so it's classic. Yeah. It reminds me of when um, video footage of Tammy Hembrow went viral last year of her smoking a cigarette when whenever she does a grocery shop, she won't leave the vegetable aisle and she'll only get certain types of foods and only put very particular things into her body, but then is more than willing to smoke a cigarette. I'm just surprised that we're surprised about this, truly. Mm. Not, not necessarily... 
um, the specific cocaine use of a specific industry, but that some kind of um, double standard exists and hypocrisy exists and that these people aren't actually as legitimate as they say. Like, I'm surprised that this was a story written up by News Corp that people cared so much that the comment section did blow up. It was very big. See, I care a lot. I think a lot of older and younger, I feel like our age, yes, know about how prevalent cocaine is, but I feel like if you go 10 years older and 10 years younger, they have absolutely no idea how popular, particularly in Melbourne and Sydney, cocaine is. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe the old crusty News Corp audience were really frothing it. <laughs> they would have loved it. I guarantee you right now, you put cocaine and model in a headline yeah, and boom, and instant success. they used a bikini photo too. Oh, of course they would have. All right, story two. Melissa McCarthy smuggled 40 ham sandwiches into the Golden Globes to stop Stop any stars from getting too hungry. That's from Insider. So what do you think? I just love Melissa McCarthy. So do I, but obviously this is a massive publicity stunt. Well, maybe. I'm not really. It's not a publicity stunt. I think yeah, they, it put is. It, they put it on social media because it's funny. They put it on social media because it's premeditated and preplanned. Of course it is. You've got to bring 40. It's a funny thing that she did. Yeah, I no. don't think she sat back and was like, this will be great for my PR. I think she just went, I'm going to do this. Of course, it's it branding. Social. I don't know why I'm cranky. You're jet lagged. <laughs> That's why you're coming at me with everything I say. <laughs> am I? <laughs> I don't know. I am very cranky. No, I think, I mean, it's funny and it's inoffensive, but I would be. it would be remiss of us to sit here and say, what a cute little gesture. I think it is a cute little gesture. It would be remiss of you to do oh that. Oh, my God. I love <laughs> Melissa McCarthy. And She's great. I would bring 40 ham sandwiches to the next event that we go to. She was on the cover of um, InStyle again this month for their badass issue. I do like that cover. Do you want to say badass again? How did I say it? <laughs> American way? <laughs> I always seize up when I go to say badass because I'm like, badass, Is it badass? badass. I think I, interestingly, and not at all on the topic <laughs> of anything, the spelling, the Australian spelling of ass or bad, bad ass <laughs> has always troubled me because I actually think it looks better A double S. I think it than, looks better that way as well, but then ass is not our word. No, but ass? Yeah, I don't know. Take, all right, story number three. Yes, yeah, I'm going to say, take <laughs> me to number three. <laughs> Penn Badgley calls out you fans who are attracted to his disturbing character. Fox News. Have you watched you? Have you seen it all over your social media? I have. So I only got home yesterday and I watched about 15 minutes before I cocked it because I was tired. I don't. Is it too soon to call it that I'm not into it? Yes. Okay. So I've got to push through. (laughs) Lots and lots of people love it. I can't watch it because just hearing the storyline makes my anxiety go through the roof. I generally can't watch anything that involves murders and stalkers and sex crime and all that type of stuff. Fair enough. So I do have a lot of friends who have watched and loved you and have said that Penn Badgley is incredibly attractive in it. This is what I find really interesting at the start because I have only watched about 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I feel like I am the expert out of us two right now. Mm -hmm. And there is sort of a weird um, charm they give him or a weird kind of charisma that they give him given he is stalking somebody, which is very troubling. As for this story, I have seen a lot of people on Twitter commenting that they do find him attractive or charming. And he has done a very good job at retweeting and calling them out and saying, no, he's he's just a stalker. He's a psychopath. I love Penn Badger. I, after finding these tweets on my own Twitter feed, I don't use Twitter, but this was a rare occasion that I did. Welcome. I went through his profile and he is such a good guy. Oh my God. Go through his profile and look at everything he does to try and help refugees, to try and help so many different causes. It's almost like he dedicates a lot of his private life to 
genuinely pushing social change. This just surprises me because it's not something that Dan would do. No, it's not something that Dan would do <laughs> at all. I cannot separate the two at all. I really recommend you guys go and look him up. It just seems just like a Google search for Penn Badley. Just look up his Twitter profile and scroll through what he's about and what he's doing. I just think it's a really good case of a celebrity doing good things we often call out celebrities doing bad things and zara was cranky we i want to point out someone doing a good thing fuck that (laughs) (laughs) am i okay to go on to my story four now yes please do okay story four beginning boutique's response to swimwear controversy was a missed opportunity to discuss body diversity that's from fashion journal this was a pretty good piece it was so i do have news that this swimwear which i'm sure all of our readers if you're in our facebook group or on our instagram page you would have seen the beginning boutique i'm calling it a v string not a g string do you like that i do like that i am skeptical that you came up with that but let's roll i'm actually reviewing i've got the beginning boutique bathing suit or swimwear or g string how much whatever. does it set you back it set me back forty dollars I'm appreciative of that because there's not much material, so it shouldn't cost much it's more. Not. So I'm reviewing that for a news.com.au column this week. So I have insider information as to how ludicrous this thing is. It is abs- it's like the length of my forearm, this one bikini bottom. It is so stupid. But I think Beginning Boutique coming out and saying, oh, anyone who criticizes us for promoting this stupid bikini is body shaming and how dare you say this about women's bodies and it's so negative. I think they really missed the point because nobody's critiquing women's bodies. People are critiquing Beginning Boutique for promoting an ideal where women don't have labias. Exactly. And Beginning Boutique did try to sort of redirect the narrative a little bit by encouraging women to get pap smears, which I mean, if you're going to remind women to get pap smears, why not? But there is so, I mean, we are always troubled by dialogue that focuses on calling out people for body shaming or shaming women, when in reality, we actually need to talk about what's going on. And I don't know, there's so much gaslighting about that for Mm -hmm. me. I think Bianca O'Neill, who wrote this piece for Fashion Journal, made a very good point when she said, when I was scrolling through all the comments on um, Beginning Boutique's ad, which did sort of go semi-viral, I hate describing things. Oh, semi-viral, had 200,000 comments. Yeah, well, well, I hate calling things going viral because (laughs) how do you measure that? Going viral is immeasurable. 200,000 comments is viral. We'll give it that. Okay, so Beginning Boutique went viral. (laughs) And she said that, you know, any comment she looks at, nobody's focusing on the body itself. People are focusing on the bikini and how it doesn't fit any other body. Yeah. I am interested in the grooming that goes on. That genuinely gives me anxiety. Zara. You, I mean, it actually have to genuinely doesn't give me anxiety, let's be real. <laughs> you'll have to read the piece because I've already written most of it, but a lot of grooming. But so much grooming, you would have absolutely no idea. I feel like... You give it like... I don't want to go over the top right now, but like these people must groom every half an hour. Well, yes. I groomed the morning of, wore it, and then needed to probably groom again if I ever wanted to wear it again yeah. later that day. It's yeah. so... So revealing. I Yeah, I'll talk more about it in the actual piece itself, which I'll put in the Facebook group yeah. if you are so inclined. It'll be in Shameless Podcast Community. But for Beginning Boutique to turn this around and say, oh, how dare you guys shame women? We're promoting women. We're promoting a typical woman's body and a typical woman's vagina. We're not saying that the model in the picture is bad or whatever. No one even commented on the model. Everyone was commenting on the fucking ludicrous thing that they put her in. Well, that's exactly the point. It's like no one's saying that that vagina is wrong or that body shape is wrong. It's saying what about all the others, which I think is the most important point. But I think I'd also point out that those models in the photos wearing these (laughs) V-strings 
probably didn't walk in them. Because take it from me, as someone who walked down a beach in it, it is bloody impossible to wear that thing without like a, a, a thing slipping out. Did you have to put a sarong around it? I mean, I don't no. want to spoil the piece. No, I needed I needed to wear it legitimately. Otherwise, it who wouldn't have been a real piece. Who did you go to the beach piece. with? Evelyn, my sister. Oh, good support. Did she give you much support? She just mm. laughed all the time. Yeah. I think when we were talking about it, she was like, oh, I'll just wear a tracksuit and you can just walk around in this stupid bikini. They actually do make me very nervous. So I am looking forward to reading this story. <laughs> How much have we life. clickbaited this story before it's even published? The floss bikini is out and the V-string bikini is in. Crazy. My fifth story. Exclusive. Why Kira Maguire took Jared Woodgate back. This is from now to love. I have absolutely no idea what the story is about because you put it in. Please go. It's my favorite thing when a news outlet calls a story an exclusive when they have an unnamed source talking about why they got back together. I did think we needed to put this in. That's why I forced it. Because Kira and Jared did get back together over the break. Um, they announced it on New Year's Eve. They're from The Bachelor, if you are not You've got to be familiar. kidding me. We, do- we have some international listeners. If we... I would – someone please message me if you needed context for that. Oh, you are so crazy. No, I'm actually today. not at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I thought it was funny that these two – so these two are back together. I'm actually stoked for them both. I still have sort of nightmares about that one story I wrote about a year ago. Do you remember that story about – she's laughing. I've said this on the podcast before, but I'm sure we have new listeners Please now. Please tell everyone. So when I was working at my last job, <laughs> there was photos of Kira and Jared coming out before Bachelor in Paradise had aired Kissing on a Beach. And <laughs> I wrote a story, like 20 reasons why Kira and Jared are absolutely not dating and this is a publicity stunt. Um, it was not a clever story. It was terrible. I'm just Googling it. It was thing. based in nothing but my feelings. And now they are not just dating, but have been back together already as well. So mm. how to kill yourself on the internet? How good's the internet and holding everything you've ever said ever? <laughs> Podcast too. People can just track everything we've ever said. Anyway, genuinely good on them. I thought it was funny what I was trying to say before that the reason that Jared said that they broke up is because she posts on Instagram too much and then they had sort of like a stage photo shoot at a waterfall to get back together on Instagram. But no judgment. You guys do you. That was a little bit of judgment. I don't think you can say something really judgy and then follow it up with no judgment and expect that everything was just vetoed. No offence, but... (laughs) All right. Well, I'm happy that you're happy for Kira and Jared. I actually genuinely am. I'm sorry if that came across as snarky. I don't really care, to be honest. Really? No, not really. The Bachelor's lost me. I think they did do a lot of work to pull me back in after the farce of last year. I'm sure they'll be taking note. Mm, They better. (laughs) (laughs) It was an article that went viral for all the wrong reasons this week. Writing for the Washington Post, lawyer and blogger Christy Tate argued that she won't stop writing about her daughter despite the grade four girl's insistence that she does so immediately. In the last few years, Tate has chronicled everything from fights with her husband to her daughter's falling out with her primary school best friend. In the piece, Tate wrote that not writing about her daughter is, and I quote, not a promise I can make. She continued, explaining, Promising not to write about her anymore would mean shutting down a vital part of myself which isn't necessarily good for me or her. Mish, we might not be parents, but what do you think about this story and the stories we share online more generally? I I feel very conflicted and a little bit nervous because I have never birthed a child and anyone who has birthed a child will be listening to our opinions and 
rolling their eyes a little bit, I'm sure. I get it. I'm 24 and I don't know about life yet. Okay. Everyone just switches (laughs) off. We just lose an entire podcast following. We don't actually know anything. I, I wouldn't put my children's lives on the internet in the way that Christy Tate has. However, I do think there needs to be a bit of gray area when we talk about sharenting, which is the term for sharing your parenting. I'm interested that you say I wouldn't put my kids on the internet now. Not in- like Christy Tate. Okay. Okay. I wouldn't write about their um, their primary school friendship breakups and I wouldn't write about them going through puberty and I wouldn't write about their personal life because their personal life is not my property. Okay, that's what that I find that interesting because I've always wondered if we can actually feasibly have an opinion on whether a mother shares a photo or something about her child without consent because I don't actually think we can have an opinion on that. But I do think there's merit in a conversation about sharing at all and I do think that we can weigh in on that because we have for the last few years had to sort of weigh up the kinds of things in our lives that we share and the kinds of things we don't. Oh, absolutely. I think this has been a huge thing for both of us. Um, I came into journalism from like a blogging background. So I used to talk a lot about my personal life and that has completely had to change. I'll get to that in a little bit. But before we do move on from mummy bloggers, I did want to speak about a piece that I read in Sydney Morning Herald by Darlene Kunha. Mm, I read this too. So the quote that I really enjoyed was, at first, our children seem like simple extensions of ourselves so that writing about them is like writing about us. Showing them is showing ourselves. We feel we have a right to them, like our consent is their consent that feeling fades. And I think that's really true once you're, I'm guessing once your child adopts a personality of their own and starts to make decisions based on what they want to do, it is very precarious to then be putting them on the internet for their lives to be public fodder. I think there are levels of this and I definitely think there's a scale and there's scope. I think the reason that Christy Tate's piece, and I would genuinely recommend anyone read this because she is a lawyer and she's very articulate. And I think that's the most jarring thing I find about this story in that it is pretty beautifully written about something that I desperately disagree with. One of her lines that she says, which I find the most interesting, amputating parts of my experience feels as abusive to our relationship as writing about her without any consideration for her feelings and privacy. I, it's so hyperbolic, the language that she uses about her need to share and her responsibility to share. I just don't buy that anybody has such a, a, you know, sort of inherent need to share that, that it, that she would use language like that. Yeah. And I don't get why sharing things online has anything to do with your relationship with your daughter and the health of that relationship. It's also putting yourself at the center of everything to go, if I don't do this, our entire relationship falls by the wayside. It's just a really unusual way of coming at things. I really enjoyed a piece from another ex-mummy blogger called Elizabeth Bastos in the New York Times. And it was a really long piece, which I'll link in the show notes, but there is six words that I think sums up entirely what happens to mummy blogging when your children get to an age where they can consent or not consent to what you're writing. And she wrote, we have publicly disrobed our children. And I think Mm -hmm. that is so accurate that if you are putting things online without your child's consent, when they're of an age to give consent, that is a really murky, ethically problematic territory. It actually reminds me, to be honest, of because our generation is at the centre of social media and understanding sort of the nitty gritty and the nuance behind it. It reminds me what happens when I take a photo of my parents or 
I my parents do something funny and they might text me something and I go to put it on Instagram and they don't understand it or don't like it or don't necessarily want it up there. And consent is very hard to give when you don't understand sort of the fallout of what's going on there. It also reminds me of a piece that Pandora Sykes wrote for Man Repeller about sharing online after she had a baby. And this quote we um, posted on Instagram and so many people posted on Instagram because I think a lot of people really, it really resonated with them. And she said, I am withholding, I am not withdrawing. Just as I am not sharing all of the bad stuff, I'm also not sharing all of the good stuff, the best stuff. I don't want to curate a shiny social media version of my life or my role as a parent, but I also don't want to write a long broken narrative about various issues I face because I do not want to invite conversation into what I am still figuring out. It's delicate. It's fragile. It's mine. So that's sort of the other side of the spectrum in that how do you create a social media presence? And that's across the board, whether you're a mom or whether you're a regular, whoever, a regular, a regular, whoever, which is you and me. Continue. (laughs) I'm glad you enjoyed that one. How do you curate a social media presence that doesn't gaslight other people into thinking that they're doing things wrong, but also doesn't expose yourself when you're not ready to talk about things that you don't want to talk about? Mm. I know as a freelance writer myself, there are so many stories that I know would have been turned into great pieces, but I couldn't write them because the fallout would have been too great. I think my own complicated history with sharing online has really has really changed. My attitudes have changed a lot in the last few years. So after my parents split up when I was 21, that was something that I really wanted to write about. And I felt like the story was mine. And for a little bit, when I had my blog, I did write about what it's like for your parents breaking up when you're in your 20s. Did you want to write it because you felt it was therapeutic? Did you want to write it because you thought it was helpful? Or did you just want to write it because it was instinct? All three. Yeah. All three. Particularly because I think it's helpful because I had never read anything from someone whose parents had split up at that later age. And then obviously my relationship with Mitch, I had always been a relationships and dating writer, I guess. That was like my bread and butter. I really loved that when I was single. And then when Mitch and I started going out, one of the biggest fights we ever had was about a story that I wrote that he had no idea about, he didn't consent to. It then had lots of readers and it invites people. It almost feels like an intrusion into your relationship with someone that suddenly you're inviting all this feedback and commentary and people to come into your relationship which is sacred and close to you and that you don't want to do that to and the most scary thing about this entire thing as a writer is once you cross that line you can't then take it back it's not like you can take an eraser and just rub out anything that didn't work or that offended someone once it's up there it's up there and no editor is going to take that down so you've got to get it right the first try and that's Sometimes very hard to do when you're in the thick of it, a sort of some sort of emotional episode and you want to get something out straight away. I don't really think this is necessarily specific to people in the media. I mean, this is our job, so we have sort of a more vested interest in it. But I think we all have choice in what we share online and the kinds of sort of social media presence that we have. In this industry, particularly the one that we work in, where blogging and journalism have intersected, there is pressure for your personal life to be fodder for your work. And I have remembered so many times turning up to work and deliberately not telling a story from my weekend or my night before because I didn't want to be asked to write about it. I I think now for a lot of people, whether you're a blogger, whether you sort of write or whether you're a journalist, you are your work and your work is you. And this might come across as wrong and it's sort of really hard to actually admit this because it will sound deeply selfish, I think. 
but there is probably merit in this sort of instance being honest. I know for a fact, for a fact that there are stories I could write right now or essays that I could write that would help people deal with things that I'm going through myself that might make people feel less crazy or less alone, maybe a little less broken, but I'm absolutely not ready to write them. I cannot write them. I cannot share that story or whatever story it might be because often, like we said, it's not just my story to tell. Mm, And I think that's the other side of it. It's such an ethical dilemma that everything you write is only from your perspective. So if anyone else is involved in your story and whatever you want to tell, it means whatever you're saying is inherently biased. When I um, wrote about my parents' breakup way back when, I needed to be more cognizant of the fact that my mom and my dad might have different perspectives to what I have. Their stories are different. The information they're running off is different. So for me to take that story and put it online was probably really erroneous and haphazard. It's really hard because I have said this to you privately before that my, one of my biggest insecurities is I think I am, I accidentally make my life look far shinier maybe on Instagram than it is because I'm so private, because I don't know what else to share, because I'm not really sure how to share it without losing parts of myself or exposing myself. And that's a huge sort of debate or sort of juggle that sort of isn't an anomaly. I think a lot of people would feel that. And we talk so often about how social media profiles are highlight reels, but it's very hard to juggle the other side and work out how to throw everything out there and then control the narrative around what you're talking about. And as someone who doesn't have kids, I'm guessing that the reason mummy blogging is so popular is because it's such connection that at a time when you might be staying at home with kids or you might be breastfeeding or whatever, you're connecting with other mums who are in the same scenario. So of course, people, especially women, connect through sharing. So I don't want any mummy bloggers who listen to this think that we're coming at you and we're saying you shouldn't be doing what you're doing because those pieces have probably helped countless women and probably made countless women feel less alone. But the issue is when your child gets to grade four, like Christy Tates has, and says, I don't want this on the internet. I'm sure so many women have already considered what happens when they have that conversation one day. I would just hope that more women wouldn't arrive at what Christy Tate has arrived at, which is it's my right to write about whatever the hell I want, including my own children. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think you're so right in that one side of this argument that we haven't given enough voice to is the fact that sharing stories can be one of the major ways that we do feel less alone. I have read so many stories, countless stories in the last couple of years about whatever things I might be going through in that moment that have made me feel so much better. So, so emotional because I'm like, I'm not crazy. Like I am absolutely not the only one. And that is the hardest part about this kind of thing, which I touched on before is that when you know, you might have a story that, that nobody else is talking about, and you know, you might have the power to talk about it a little more and make people feel less alone, but you're not ready to do that. How do you deal with it? I know, um, in the latest episode of the cut on Tuesdays, Stella Bugby, who is the editor in chief of the cut gave the this really interesting example in their episode about apologies. We both listened to this separately and both messaged each other, but you just didn't read my message. <laughs> yeah, I recommended it to you as if I was giving you this golden nugget of information. And I was like, Zara, you have to listen to this. And then you just sent me a screenshot in reply of when you told me to listen to it about 12 hours earlier. Yeah, that happened. And Stella had written a story um, in the lead up to the 2016 election. And it was about her dad and 
Donald Trump and Howard Stern. And basically the story was about how when she grew up, her dad listened to a lot of Howard Stern, who is sort of a, I guess I'm going to call him talkback, quote unquote, radio host in the US. Conservative. Yeah. Super conservative. His language around women is questionable and occasionally problematic. Um, And he is sort of in a similar thread as Donald Trump. I guess if you were going to categorize people, why not just throw them together. Throw them all in. Just for, you know, to be lazy about it. <laughs> and she wrote about how she has been troubled coming into the 2016 election or how how she was troubled coming into the 2016 election as a lot of um, talk about Donald Trump was arising um, about her dad's relationship with women and his language about rem- women, given the fact that he listened to Howard Stern around her when she was a child. She didn't tell him that she was going to write this story. She said on this episode of The Cut on Tuesday, that it took them two years to speak after that story. He did not talk to her. Um, and even still, their relationship isn't mended. They're talking, but but not nothing has been forgiven. Mm. And I think that is, for me, one of the most interesting things because Stella Bugby's writing, I love, she seems to be one of the most emotionally and intelligently tuned women that I know, not personally, but online. <laughs> and that those kinds of stories you feel you're writing to to help a massive group of people or to shed light on something that you think at the end of the day is going to be helpful actually just ruins your personal relationship. To bring this all back to my one true love, Nora Ephron. Oh, this is new. It does It does call into question the line that she's really famous for, which is everything is copy. Mm. Because I don't think everything is copy. I think everything, uh, stories belong to so many different people. They're not just your property that you can do whatever you want with. And to pull another example into it, I heard Dave Hughes joke a few years ago that he would have had a fourth kid just for the content. And so I just think it's an interesting place we've found ourselves in now where so much of our lives can be turned into likes and clicks and whatever we want online. But it's very precarious. Well, even we talk like that. When things turn to shit, we just laugh and say, ha everything is content. And we're not really joking. No. It is. I mean, there has to be a silver lining somewhere. Um, but that is the most troublesome thing. And I don't think we're going to work out. I don't think we're going to get to a place where we're going to do it perfectly. But I think a piece like Pandora's about the struggle in knowing what to share is really important so that people know it's not a highlight reel, but also some things I'm just not ready to share either. So like your next pap smear or any of that stuff going to make it online? (laughs) Nothing of mine makes it online. I just can't. (laughs) I think I draw the line at uh, relationships. Your line's a little further along than mine, I reckon. Oh, absolutely (laughs) is. You're about to pose in a (laughs) V-string online. (laughs) Oh, kill me. When I was 14, I couldn't reach as many people as I can now. Now that I'm 22 and I have this whole thing behind me I can I can speak to so many people and just be like I can help you and it's okay and ever and I experience it I'm very normal and like I understand you like I can connect with you it was dubbed as an announcement that would move us that would start a conversation and spark change this week both Kendall and Chris Jenner teased an announcement from the Victoria's Secret model where she said that she would be more vulnerable than ever before that she wanted to help people days later it was announced that Kendall Jenner was a new ambassador for proactive the internet was aghast this was the big game-changing announcement alongside that criticism came another more overwhelming thread did Kendall even use proactive to clear her acne and if she didn't, does it matter that she's now the brand's ambassador? 
Zara, what were you thinking as the conversation unfolded? A lot of things I was thinking. I was very, very intrigued by this story because bad Kardashian-Jenner publicity is certainly not new. But this story in particular, I actually think has so many layers that are really important to talk about. I think the first one and the most overwhelming one for me was the conversation around queer baiting. Um, There have been longstanding rumours, I don't know how sort of relevant or strong or accurate they are, that Kendall could be gay. And they know this because Kendall's been asked about it in many interviews. She addressed it in in a profile with Vogue recently. And in saying that she was going to be the most vulnerable that she was ever going to be, she was going to help people feel less alone, that she was going to share a part of herself that she hadn't shared before in a teaser people thought she was going to come out as gay. And I think for a lot of people, that was the first troubling aspect. Well, it's tacky, which it isn't the first time the Kardashian <laughs> Jenner's have been tacky. Can we please take a moment to acknowledge Chris Jenner's hashtags? Please? I think we need to actually acknowledge all of it, like Kendall's quotes and Chris Jenner's hashtags. Okay, so go. Can I just reel off the hashtags? Ready, go. set. Hashtag be the change. Share your story. Change the conversation. Proud mum. Finally a solution. Authenticity. My daughter inspires me and get ready. <laughs> Hashtag authenticity. Hashtag women supporting women. Finally <laughs> a solution. As if they have just, oh my God, I can't. Well, the funny, the other part about this is what Kendall said in the teaser video, which was when I was 14, I couldn't reach as many people as I can now. Now that I'm 22 and I have this whole thing behind me, I can <laughs> This just this thing. <laughs> I can speak to so many people and just be like, I can help you. It's okay. I experience it. I'm very normal. I understand <laughs> you. Like I can connect with you. I'm going to try and help you and me, Kendall, one and the same. It's just so inspiring. Hashtag my daughter inspires me. <laughs> Hashtag authenticity. Hashtag get ready. <laughs> I just, okay. It's not that not all struggles are made the same, right? Because one of my biggest pet peeves is when someone is going through something and they might be incredibly privileged and we say that their struggle means nothing. It doesn't mean nothing. I think there is a scale of struggle and then there's another scale of privilege. But I think it's it's all about being tone deaf in how you're telling the story of your own struggle when you have so much privilege. That's kind of the line for me. Agree, agree. I think... I don't know. I I think the ultimate word to describe the Kardashians' business plan is mercenary. They just will do whatever it takes to get money. And it's no real surprise that Kendall Jenner has come out as the face of proactive when I would argue that she definitely doesn't use proactive. Well, let's get on to that in a second. I... I just, part of me does think, why do we actually care? Like, I get it, it's mildly annoying to be clickbaited into what was eventually a glorified ad. But if you truly don't like how the Kardashians do business, and this is how they've done business since the dawn of time, isn't it ultimately up to us just to ignore it, not buy the product and unfollow? Do we expect anything more of Kendall Jenner? Uh, No, it's a really good question. I don't know if we do. But that said, I don't think it's not a reason to delve into a the authenticity behind sponsored posts. And and as Jezebel put it, sort of empowering SponCon. I also think that it gives us scope to talk about what the Kardashian Jenners do, how much good they do, how much bad they do. And to be honest, bottom line, whether they are sort of infecting the world with more trouble. Infecting. Infecting the world with more trouble than good. I don't know. But I think maybe maybe outrage is wrong and maybe anger is wrong. But I don't think a conversation about this specific example is wrong at all because I think it's just a symptom of a much wider issue. I... 
I want to talk about positive impact, right? Because I want to know, can you make a positive impact when you're being paid for something? I think you can, right? So if we're talking about influencers or celebrities who take on endorsements and say, I just want to help the world, but also they're getting like 11 figures in their bank account. Can you actually say that it's for the positive impact? I do not think you can. So I don't think that they can sell this deed or any other influencer can sell a deed as something driven by altruism rather than money. And that's sort of a pet peeve I have at the moment as well in that people saying, I want to do good, look at me doing good, when in reality, how much good would you be doing if you weren't being paid for it? Mm, I agree with that. I think... Number one, she's not really helping people. This is skincare. It's not like she's going out there and sharing some life-affirming message. She's talking (laughs) about putting peroxide on your skin, which I will have you know I did to myself and my mum still won't let me live down how white I turned all of my sheets and towels and everything. Well, the interesting part about Proactive is it does use benzoyl peroxide, which is a chemical that only works in a select few skin types. Um, In others, it can cause drying and premature ageing. Proactive, I remember, I've been reading a lot of commentary online, And it's sort of been the biggest blast from the past about how good their advertising was when I was maybe 13 or 14 and how targeted I felt by it and how much I wanted to buy the product, even though my skin wasn't that bad. They used to have an ad saying that if you wanted a boyfriend and you had pimples, you needed to go on proactive. Is that why I wanted to buy it? spoke to me on a cellular (laughs) level. (laughs) But I just look back on it and I think they really targeted people. So, I mean, this is not a positive impact because this is is a product that has made women feel shit. It ruined my skin. I don't think anyone understands how, unless you've been on Proactive, which please, I will start a support group inside the Shameless Podcast (laughs) community because my skin, I'm not kidding, was bright red for about three months. Every time my nanny came over, and I know my nanny's listening, so hello, nanny. Every time she came over, she thought I'd just been for a run because I spent my Do you life. Call your nana nanny. Nanny. I just thought for a second that you had a living nanny. Back on track, please. Um, I'm not rich. No. <laughs> well, I just wanted to clarify for you. No, it's it's not a great product. It can help some people, but it is, I think, a, a minuscule amount of people. For me, it's the guys that famous people are inherently helping us with everything they do. And I think that is a massive theme at the moment that that we all sort of need to underpin all of the work we're doing with purpose and that purpose has to help people. And this is not just influencers, I don't think. I think everybody feels a need to justify the work they're doing in a way that makes it look like it's doing good for the world. I I think in doing that, we've kind of lost track about what good and bad impact is. There's an absolute oversaturation of celebrities trying to justify their work as good when in reality, not all work has to be good. It just has to do no harm. And I think we sort of need to recalibrate those those scales. I mean, Michelle, we speak into a microphone for a living at the moment. I'm not saying, I'm not sure we do that much good. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? But it's very easy to justify the work you're doing as something that's sort of world saving. Yeah. It's kind of like Kate Hudson's response. She got a lot of backlash this week for coming out as a Weight Watchers ambassador. Yeah, she. I think she only gave birth a few months ago and she said she wanted to lose her postpartum weight. And her response was that she wants to encourage women to live this amazing life and be their best selves. And I appreciate all that. But I think at the same time, when you wrap something that's just like, we can just be transparent about it. We're just selling women a product. We're selling them something that we think they'll enjoy. We don't need to be changing their lives and finding the solution and being the change. I think if you're using hashtag be the change to talk about putting chemicals on your face and frying it until it looks like fucking mess, 
You're not doing. You're talking about your own face. It looked like, believe me. No, but I think that's exactly the point in that everything needs to be sold to women in a way that is going to better their bottom line and better the person that they are. And I, I think I would be more likely to buy a product that just said, this could cure your pimples. It might not. Yeah, give it a shot. I mean, I know that's Are not- Are you in advertising? Uh, no, can you tell? <laughs> I think the other element that has gained a lot of traction with regards to Kendall and Proactive is um, this idea that she probably doesn't use Proactive. And when we say probably, she's been on the record many, many times in the past saying that she doesn't. And there was a great- piece on Jezebel that said, it's nearly impossible now in a time of skincare and self-care to imagine a celebrity of status and wealth using a $19.95 subscription skincare product with heavy, aggressive, damaging chemicals instead of whatever intensive, expensive, heavily moisturizing skincare regime actually works and is reserved for the rich, especially a model whose career is built on looking good. It's a really good point because um, do you follow Estee Laundry on Instagram? Yes, I do. They're kind of like the diet prada of the beauty industry. And they went back and looked at all of the interviews that Kendall has done talking about how she used primarily Christine Kid products and a bit of Estee Lauder when she was their ambassador to, to clear her acne. And she's on the record time and time and time again talking about how Christine Kid products solved her skin. I think for something as serious as acne, should we not be transparent about how expensive it is to fix? I mean, is that just gaslighting a whole generation of young women who might be struggling with something very deeply and are told that a $19 product can fix it when in reality it didn't fix it for Kendall? Or is that just us being naive? Mm. Should we not just assume that every sponsored post comes with a little disclaimer that said, I probably didn't use this product? Yeah, well, I think it comes back to what we were even talking about, about Laura Byrne in, it might have been our last episode yeah. of 2018. You could go so far with it. I think so many people will just go where the dollars are, not where the product is. And I think it's ultimately up to us to call a spade a spade and call Kendall Jenner's ads mostly bullshit. Because I think what she's done in the last couple of years is shown that she will sell her face to whoever is the highest bidder. Mm. There was a great piece that I wanted to finish on from the grapevine from Danielle Young, who spoke about the Kardashians and, and bad publicity and how in this day and age, the, the tagline that all publicity is good publicity doesn't work anymore unless you are actually the Kardashians. And she wrote, bad publicity just doesn't work anymore, especially orchestrated bad publicity, unless, of course, you're the Kardashians. Collectively, the Kardashians are reportedly worth upward of half a billion dollars. And to think it all started with a sex tape. If bad publicity worked for anyone but the Kardashians, Ray J should and would have been in a similar financial situation. Mm, it's so interesting. It, we can talk about this all we want but I don't think Kendall Jenner's relevancy or her price will be going down anytime soon. Yeah. This seems to only spur the Kardashian machine further on. So, And I still think we're talking about proactive more than we ever have in about 10 years. So, I hated it. For anyone listening, it's the fucking worst. And you also can't wear makeup. I'll add that. I don't think Kendall Jenner's ever touched this because you can't wear makeup when you're in proactive. The anti-ambassador. Yeah, imagine your... Fa- I can't even. Giving me like flashbacks to what that was in my life. Hey, I reckon that's all we have time for for our first episode back. Yes, thank you so much for joining us for episode 42. If you want to support the show, as always, we will recommend what we always do, which is simply taking a screenshot and putting it on your Instagram story. Tell people that you're listening and that you like us, please or tell Zara that she's really annoying and cranky today and that she needs to lift her game. I think I perked up. Oh, 
Oh, you did all right. I'm on very little sleep. I'm not going to complain about it because I have just been on a holiday, but wow. Um, if you do want to join the conversation, come and find us in Shameless Podcast Community or on Instagram, Shameless Podcast. We are just about everywhere and we will be back in your ears on Thursday. We've got a special interview coming on Thursday and we're so excited to bring it to you because it's with a person that we bloody love. Yeah, no rest for the wicked. We will see you on Thursday then. Bye. Bye. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.